When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. It's official. Genesis files for bankruptcy and Cameron Winklevoss threatens to sue Barry Silbert. What could this mean for the industry and for markets? We'll discuss this and much more live with Ram Alualia and Santiago Velez. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. Let's jump straight in to today's price analysis. The overall crypto market is trading slightly higher Bitcoin is back above $21,000. The largest U.S. crypto by market cap is up on the past day. Coindesk reports some interesting data around BTC's recent rally. The outlook, uh, the outlet has looked at RSI, the Relative Strength Index. It's a momentum indicator that looks to identify areas where an asset's price is potentially overbought or oversold. Higher RSI numbers indicate an overbought condition. Lower RSI numbers represent oversold conditions. Coindesk says that within the last two weeks, Bitcoin has registered three of the highest 10 RSI readings to date in 2019, since 2019, obviously a four-year period or three-and-a-half-year period there. That includes a, a reading of 89.3 on January 14. Such high readings are very unusual for Bitcoin. Coindesk says the average seven-day returns for Bitcoin after reaching its current RSI levels have historically been a positive 7% return. When looking at an th average of 30 days, that goes up to a 15% return. With the recent surge ahead already baked in, the momentum could potentially wane. Meanwhile, when it comes to Ether, its RSI readings have been more muted. This correlates with equally muted average returns historically. However, today's Ether is making a bigger move to the upside than Bitcoin. Ether is up 2% on a trailing 24-hour basis. It's currently trading at around $1,550. One other cryptocurrency we're looking at is Nexo. The native token of the namesake crypto lender is performing today uh, better than all other cryptocurrencies. So best performer of the day. That's following a settlement with the SEC. More on that later. Now, let's bring in our guests. Ram Alualia is the CEO of Lumida Wealth Management. We also have Santiago Velez. He's co-founder and R&D division lead at Block Digital and co-founder and vice president of R&D at Syndric Solutions. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ash. Welcome. Uh, for those of you watching, make sure to pop your questions in the live chats on the Real Vision website or on YouTube. You can also ask them in our Discord channel. We'll ask the best questions on air later in the show. Remember, Real Vision members take priority, but good news is membership is free. With that said, let's jump right in. Uh, Ram, obviously pretty eventful uh, 12 hours or so here since, uh, since Genesis filed for bankruptcy in New York at around 11.45 p.m. Eastern time last night, so almost exactly 12 hours ago. Ram, 
Give us the broad framework here. What's the big picture? What's going on? Sure. So Genesis, as you point out, Ash, filed for bankruptcy in federal court, Southern District of New York. Let's talk about how we got here. So DCG failed to raise equity at the parent company level. And again, that was a function of concerns around this $1.1 billion promissory note, concerns around their liabilities exceeding assets, DOJ. Just for SS people who aren't following the story, that, that promissory yes. note, who is it owed to uh, and what were the dynamics around it? Well, it was an attempt by DCG to uh, bail out Genesis by swapping out a bad asset, a defaulted loan to 3O's Capital with a good asset, which is a 10-year loan earning 1% payable to uh, Genesis, where the counterparty there is DCG, right? So there were the concerns around that loan and these other issues, FTX clawback risk, meaning that if uh, the bankruptcy court from FTX deems that you know loans that were called in by Genesis in August are clawed back, that can create issues for Genesis. So stepping back, DCG failed to raise a venture round, which could have plugged the hole because there are these various issues surrounding DCG, including Cameron Winklevoss's allegation of accounting fraud, namely the representation of $1.1 billion loan. So for those reasons, they couldn't raise funds Second, we did not see a prepackaged bankruptcy that was reported in some of the news in the re recent days, uh, right. which is disappointing because a prepack would have accelerated timing, speed of recovery, preserved the value of the economic pie, and created clarity around the disposition of assets such as GBTC, uh, as well as other assets such as Coindesk. Rob, let me just break in here to just do a bit of yeah. a summary of where we are today, because this is a lot of information for people sure. to digest. Uh, so essentially, uh, DCG unable to raise external financing uh, to plug the hole in the balance sheet. As a consequence, they effectively did this swap of assets internally between the parent holding company uh, and the portfolio operating company, uh, in this case, DCG uh, and Genesis. And that effectively was a mechanism uh, to try and offset the challenge uh, with the hole left in the balance sheet by the loan that was defaulted on by Three Arrows Capital. Is that roughly right? You nailed it. Exactly right, Ash. Exactly right. Now, the question then is, well, why now? Why was the bankruptcy Chapter 11 filed today, not yesterday or tomorrow? And the reason has to do it's a term called the preference window. So in short, you have a 90-day window to claw back any, say, withdrawals or redemptions uh, from Genesis. So Genesis has an obligation to file for bankruptcy within a period of time so that uh, there's no preference or preferential treatment of a creditor Genesis. So that's what, what started the clock on that 90-day window. There must have been some transactions that took place 89 days ago which were material and significant. And they were looking at that and said, look, you know, we have to file bankruptcy. We can't let the 90 day window pass those transactions. Otherwise they cannot be clawed back. So uh, the other point that you touched on there that I think is a very important one were these rumors uh, that were being reported yesterday uh, from sources allegedly close uh, to this case about the idea of a prepackaged bankruptcy. Just so people who may not know what that means, a prepackaged bankruptcy, lawyers usually say, this is where creditors and debtors walk hand in hand into bankruptcy court and say, look, we've worked out a solution for this. 
We need to grant forbearance. We need to swap debt for equity. All of these mechanisms that are used effectively to offset the losses that creditors have. This was reported yesterday. It was picked up pretty widely, the idea that they were going to find some mechanism uh, to work this out between, uh, between Genesis and the creditors. That did not happen. It seemed unlikely to me with the uh, the nasty grams going back and forth between the Winklevoss twins uh, and DCG and Barry Silbert and Genesis. And yet, uh, you know, at the end of the day, precisely uh, as many of the cynics thought, we did not get a prepackaged bankruptcy. Uh, obviously, there, this conversation now, as I said at the top of the show about uh, what's happening uh, with the um, with the the uh, the underlying uh, relationship between these two. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. So it's, it's very acrimonious. Cameron is running a maximum pressure campaign to seek concessions and is still attempting to align on ideal. So there's still an opportunity for parties to come together. And it in indicates through Cameron's letter that everyone's still working and burning the midnight oil to try to come to terms, which is still constructive. It's not a prepackaged bankruptcy, but there's a possibility that parties can come together, align on terms. And Cameron is threatening legal action against DCG and Barry Silver personally to add more pressure. Yeah. Let me just let me just read through this to give people a sense uh, of the overall uh, framework for what's happened here. This is just a summary of what's happened uh, over the last uh, 12 hours or so. Uh, so crypto lender Genesis has officially filed for bankruptcy. We talked about that at the top of the show. Uh, the company did so at midnight last night or near midnight yesterday. Uh, this is in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of New York. Uh, clearly, this was not unexpected. This is part of this uh, cascading effect that we've seen after the collapse of FTX. And of course, other crypto failures like Three Arrows Capital, as we said, uh, that played a role uh, in the default uh, that played a role because of the defaulted loan uh, from Three Arrows Capital uh, to uh, Genesis. So in its Chapter 11 filing, uh, Genesis revealed its top 50 largest creditors. Some of the names have been redacted. I want to ask you about that, Ram, uh, yes. how typical that is uh, in just a second. Uh, news outlet The Block says collectively Genesis now owes uh, creditors $3.6 billion. That's a significantly higher number than previously reported. In fact, it's double the minimum of $1.8 billion in outstanding debt that both The Block and Coindesk had reported back in December. So again, these numbers appear to be rising. Uh, at the top of Genesis's creditors list uh, sits crypto exchange Gemini, as we've just talked about before. Uh, Gemini and Genesis had partnered, of course, on the yield earning program called EARN. Both Genesis and Gemini have been sued by SEC over allegations that they offered unauthorized securities. Last night's bankruptcy filing says Genesis owes $766 million to Gemini users. Gemini co-founder Cameron Winklevoss says the ultimate responsibility for the situation at Genesis lies with its parent company, Digital Currency Group. Winklevoss has threatened to sue DCG and its CEO, Barry Silbert, imminently unless they make a fair offering to creditors, obviously fair in the view uh, of Mr. Winklevoss. Uh, so let's talk about some of that, the redaction, uh, the threatened lawsuit. Go ahead, jump in. Yeah, no, the redactions can happen. I'll call it a few things. We did learn quite a lot in the filing from Cleary Gottlieb, which is the council representing Genesis. This is their proposal. Uh, one is we learned that Genesis has a billion in cash and liquid assets. So therefore, creditors that have priority claims that are senior creditors, uh, you know, certainly uh, will expect to receive some initial payout, maybe 20 to 30 cents in the dollar, if you just take out the liquid assets divided by the uh, total debt outstanding, which looks like 3.5 billion plus of the top 50 holders. Second, um, to, to your point, Gemini earned creditors are at the top of the list in terms of the, 
the dollars owed. Gemini is not a creditor to Genesis. It's acting as an agent to Gemini Earned Creditors at the top of the list. There are two notable amounts which are redacted. One is for greater than $400 million and the other is greater than $200 million. And what we'd like to know there is, are those exchanges? Because if they're exchanges, then there could be some contagion risk. Um, Abra has a $30 million claim that's relatively digestible. Abra should be able to raise equity. Maybe they have the equity capital on hand to get past that. Uh, so those are some of the learnings there. The other learning we learned from the docket, and this is a major docket I'm still processing now, uh, the promissory note. So of course we knew probably one or two weeks ago that is a $1.1 billion loan due in- The internal promissory note between DCG and Genesis. That's correct, that's correct. We learned that it has a pick toggle. What that means is it's you can pay in kind, which means that in 10 years time, if DCG doesn't have the cash, they can simply let the note continue to accrue interest. So you can see why Gemini earned creditors and the credit community, committee members were upset. Uh, there's no binding mechanism to drive towards default. They can keep accruing the debt. Right. Uh, and so, Rob, if I'm, if I'm correct about this, but this payment in kind, uh, this is essentially the ability to pay in additional securities that can be issued uh, between these two companies. So effectively, if there's no cash transfer, you can sort of just continue to paper this over almost indefinitely, at least in my interpretation. Based yes, on what that's my interpretation as well. Exactly. You can continue to accrue debt uh, and say, hey, we'll pay you later. Right. So now we still need to learn a few other elements. We need to look at how unaccredited investors will be treated. Now, unaccredited investors you know, per SEC law should not be investing in private companies because they don't have the qualification status of an accredited investors and these investments are not suitable for them. Uh, unaccredited so, investors, also known as retail investors. These that's are folks who are not yeah. accredited. That's yeah. right, the public, exactly. So the uh, Cleary Gottlieb proposal contemplates equitization of uh, the, the essentially the conversion of debt to equity for the various classes. That's one way to look at that. Two other learnings here. The proposal shows that there's no expectation that the senior priority claims will be impaired, meaning those senior creditors have a path to full recovery. It won't get paid out initially, it'll get paid over time, but there is a path to full recovery for their senior creditors. But there's a lot of challenges here, right? Imagine there's a retail investor out there and they're not accredited. They didn't have any disclosures and they made an investment, they can't distinguish between a senior loan and unsecured loan. It, to me, if I'm looking at this from a regular, I'm gonna say that retail unsophisticated investor didn't know any better. And now they're at the risk to be in line for losses because they don't have a senior loan. So these are the issues that are gonna start coming up. Another element that'll come up is discovery. Mm. So in bankruptcy law, you can pursue discovery if it's material and relevant you're gonna to start to see depositions of key executives uh, at the time of bankruptcy, all of whom have been terminated and up till now have been silenced under NDAs. So you're gonna see- So, so this essentially the discovery process, it overrides the NDAs. Uh, you can depose senior executives and former senior executives. You can also subpoena emails uh, and other documents. So this sort of significantly widens the scope of what the public will ultimately know because during discovery, those documents ultimately uh, become public information. Rob, I'm mindful. I wish we could have you here uh, for uh, for the next two yeah. hours, but I know that you have to to leave okay. because of some other commitments. And I wanted to just touch on a couple of other points that I think are really important. You know, so so one point just as 
a little uh, ground uh, work for people who may not be familiar with this process. This idea of the prioritization of creditors, this is something that every bankruptcy hearing uh, fights over, which is the idea that different creditors claim that they're senior, they claim that their assets are secured, they claim that things were held in trust. Essentially, you have a series of creditors or different classes of creditors battling it out over who gets what priority over which funds. And that's a very natural thing that happens in bankruptcy. That's at the core of just about every bankruptcy hearing that I've ever heard of. The second point that I want to touch on that you uh, mentioned that I think is really important that I'd love to get your insight on uh, is this idea of redactions, the idea that you have some creditors uh, whose, whose names are being withheld uh, from the public release of documents. First of all, Ram, how common is that? Why would judges agree to it? And I think really ultimately to the point you made earlier, what are some of the potential risks if those are public, if those creditors uh, have, you know, potential additional contagion risk, if for example, they're exchanges? I know that's a lot, uh, but it, jump in and give us the overview on redactions. It, it happens, it's common. A judge didn't approve or not approve it. So there's a, a bankruptcy filing that'll be in front of a judge. Uh, you know, we'll see. I'd, I'd love to understand the identity of that to understand contagion risks, and we'll see what we learn through the discovery process. Yeah. Ram, final thoughts, final points you'd like to make. Again, I wish we could have you on all day. I know no, you have a prior commitment and have to leave, uh, but we're going to keep having you back to cover this story. Final thoughts, obviously a lot of new information coming out here. So we need to push for a uh, proposal that both parties can align on quickly to drive speed of recovery. That's one. Second, we need to look at where the GBTC is held, how much is that genesis, uh, and we need to encourage a mutual resolution to avoid any disorderly liquidations. There's a lot of work that's been done over the last two or three months, so I would expect that we have a faster resolution than typical bankruptcy processes, which can take six to 12 months. I guess everything on crypto uh, just happens at uh, hyperspeed. It's co there's complexities here, though, because of those retail unaccredited investors, right? So you need to have equitable treatment. A judge will test that every member of a credible class, of a creditor class is treated equitably. So you can't deprive retail investors of an equity conversion, even though they shouldn't have the equity. This is very nuanced development in, in bankruptcy law. And the other uh, learning I should add also is that uh, these claims were dollarized, meaning if you made a deposit in a token, then at the time of the petition, 11.45 PM last night, that timestamp converts that token deposit into a dollar deposit. So oh. it's frozen. At that particular point in time, meaning the price right. at that moment really does matter. And it's interesting because we've obviously had this bit of a run-up uh, here over the past five to seven days uh, in price. So fascinating, fascinating stuff. Right. I have to say, Ram, you know, a, a sort of big picture here. I think a lot of people uh, suspected that this was coming. Uh, we had reports uh, going back about a month that there was a potential for a bankruptcy filing. Bloomberg reported, I guess it was two days ago, that a filing uh, might be imminent. Actually, I think it was yesterday that they reported that the filing was imminent. Uh, and uh, so now we get the filing, and it really does seem, I know this is a cliche, but it really does seem like we have more questions than answers today than we did yesterday. We're going to learn a lot through discovery. Rob, fantastic to have you on, man. We've got to have you back yeah. uh, to do this conversation more often. Thank you, Ash. Pleased to be here. Take care, guys. Have a good one. Be well. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Santiago Velez. Santiago, I know you were listening to that conversation. Uh, obviously, there's a huge amount going on here, a lot to unpack. Uh, what are your thoughts to what Rom had to say? You know, the liquidity tide keeps going out, and we keep seeing who's not wearing pants. I think this is a natural deleveraging. Um, all of the, I mean, lessons learned here for digital asset investors is uh, know who your counterparties are and who their counterparties are. 
this is a chain of events that's continuing to unwind over the several months. And as as the guest noted, Rob noted, uh, this was from a 90 day clock that occurred back in November. Uh, right. So this is this is what seeing... it was interesting. He didn't say exactly what the event was. It was just kind of like implied in the fact that they filed and said, hey, there must have been some material event uh, 89 days ago that precipitated the beginning of the clock, but didn't know exactly what the clock started on. Yeah. And, you know, as far as investors are concerned, this is all about different clocks, right? The, the rate at which uh, prices will change during the proceedings, as he noted also. Uh, it's frozen as of uh, midnight last night. Um, and we know that digital assets can kind of explode in value exponentially over a one year period, for example. Um, and bankruptcy proceedings can take at least that long. Um, and so it, it can be to the advantage of certain parties to, uh, you know, those differences in rates as, as far as who's going to benefit and who's not. Um, so I, I think it's very interesting that bankruptcy and the delays could be used to the advantage of, of particular parties. Um, you know, with regards to a counterparties whose relationships are unfolding, digital asset investors should realize that there's a lot of headwinds here. Uh, one of them being a, a continued regulatory attack on lots of yield products. We've seen lawsuits uh, against various exchanges who offered yield products as, as unregistered. Uh, and we also see a, a you know, a continued um, a regime of financial tightening. Uh, both those are extreme headwinds, in my opinion. Um, so I'm very skeptical, kind of tying this back to the, the beginning of the of the uh, um, uh, of today's talk on price action. I'm very skeptical of a sustained rally in the face of these of these kind of dual headwinds. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, it's kind of interesting, you know, this idea uh, that uh, even though you're skeptical of a sustained rally, the fact that uh, Bitcoin has rallied, I'm looking right now, uh, looks like uh, almost, uh, well, call it 11.5% trailing seven days. If the clock essentially on dollarization stops the minute that lawsuit gets filed, you wind up being anchored to the higher price. What an interesting circumstance. Yeah, well, you know, actually, I'm thinking of the reverse in terms of um, Bitcoin continuing to rally, say, over the next year. Mm. Uh, and the proceedings not truly being unwound as uh, the complexities of bankruptcy, um, they take a lot of a lot of time for the creditors to agree on who's first and who's last. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the judge has their say and they can take whatever time they feel is appropriate. Uh, and throughout that period, you can have radical price changes in the underlying native assets. So um, this is going to be extremely interesting to watch as it unfolds. I think that uh, the the SEC has no motivation to relax on its pressure for either uh, yield products or to grant a uh, a spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, so this right. this is probably going to put a lot of pressure on DCG, um, and uh, and it'll be part of the negotiations between the parties. 
I guess in a kind of a weird way, if an asset's been dollarized, you're kind of implicitly short the asset, right? Because effectively you would do better uh, relative to the spot price if it were to decline because you'd be locked in at the higher dollarized price. That's that's true. That's uh, 100% agree. Yeah, so, uh, you know, price action wise, I feel will continue to go um, sideways with lots of volatility for an extended period of time, at least until... Um, you know, we see in other risk assets, uh, a, 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 you know, sh rallies here with the presumption that Fed monetary policy will will relax and pivot. Um, there's a lot of debate on this, whether that's premature or not. Uh, we also right. know there's a lot of money on the sidelines waiting to deploy. Um, so crypto being as liquid as it is right now, you can see very strong rallies. Um, so my advice in general is to just be cautious of uh, whether those will be sustainable, especially in light of some of these large players um, caught up in these legal proceedings. And of course, um, significant uh, minor, uh, continued minor liquidations on, on the Bitcoin side. So, um, you know, just uh, be, be cautious. Yeah, and by the way, for those folks uh, who are not familiar with the macro space, this is clearly the biggest debate happening right now is what is going to happen with monetary policy? Uh, how is the Fed going to try and strike this balance uh, in their dual mandate? Are they going to continue to clamp down uh, on inflation or are they going to either pivot or even relax uh, that cycle uh, to a certain extent? That really is the debate. And obviously there's a huge uh, component there that has an impact on what happens for digital asset prices. Obviously our top story of the day uh, is this the Genesis story, but there's other news flow that we wanted to report to you uh, today. This one going back to FTX, John Ray has given his first interview since becoming FTX CEO. He spoke exclusively to the Wall Street Journal. One especially notable comment Ray made is that he would consider restarting the exchange. Ray told the journal he had set up a task force to explore restarting FTX.com. That's the company's main international exchange. Ray says some users have praised FTX's technology and that there could be value in reviving the exchange. Earlier this week, FTX revealed a significant shortfall in assets on its U.S. exchange. That's in contrast to claims by former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, who continues to maintain FTX is fully solvent. FTX says a hacker stole half, half of all of its assets uh, on the U.S.-based exchange two days after the bankruptcy filing in November. Boy, a lot there. So potentially, number one, potentially restarting the exchange. Uh, and then number two, I think this story actually came out two, two or three days ago on the 17th, uh, that assets had been stolen from the exchange. We knew that before, but the idea that it was 50% of the assets on the U.S. entity of FTX pretty extraordinarily high number, 50% of the assets suddenly disappearing. I guess it's possible, possible that Sam Bankman-Fried believed he was telling the truth and then the assets got stolen. I mean, there again, if you want to talk about a space where there's more questions than answers, that applies to this story as well, doesn't it? Oh my God, it never ends. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting tidbits here. Um, you know, first of all, uh, Mr. John J. Ray having his background with with Enron of all of all places, um, he's intimately familiar with how these things can play out. And I think we, we should uh, say Mr. J came in after the collapse of Enron to do the same kind of work he was doing. He's doing here. Uh, obviously, he was not involved in the fraud. This was someone who came in to help clean up the mess. That's right. Um, and I'm sure there's disagreements with uh, he and Sam about exactly how that cleanup should occur and who should benefit. Uh, you know, FTX suffered incredible brand damage. Uh, from from losing funds, and that's both U.S. and international. However, the token price is a you know real time uh, 
indicator and it's almost doubled, uh, it, which is shocking, right? That the FTT token itself has um, seen almost 100% rise in price. And, and that, that's amazing in and of itself, uh, whether or not it's sufficient to bring customers back to the exchange to realize the benefits of holding that token, or if it's just purely speculative, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, but you know, the, the exchange was widely used. It was right. it offered many products that uh, traders saw, saw as beneficial um, and it was considered efficient. Whether or not they can continue to, to provide on and deliver on those services, we'll have to see. Um, I personally would never use an exchange uh, uh, under the FTX banner again, but that's you know that's me personally, and others may may have a different viewpoint on that. Boy, so much, so much to add, uh, so much to add and say there. Uh, look, uh, I, I would be shocked to know if there's anything uh, that Mr. Ray and uh, Mr. Bankman-Fried agree on. Uh, obviously, a very divergent uh, point of view there uh, in terms of their view of what's happened at the company. Uh, second, the FTX exchange's viability. I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting question. I would say that um, you know, professional institutional traders uh, probably don't put a whole lot of uh, stock in in branding and uh, swag and, and that kind of stuff. And if they believe that the exchange is secure and that it represents some kind of edge uh, for them, whatever their past history under prior management uh, is an open question about whether or not they jump in. I want to talk a little bit about the token price because you said something uh, interesting there, a couple of interesting points, actually. I'm looking right now at the one-year chart. Uh, look, a cynic would look at this chart and say, well, sure, it's rallied. That's low base effect. It was trading down at uh, you know a buck and change in share uh, it, right now uh, per token. And now it's uh, looks like on my screen, it's trading at uh, uh, two and a quarter. Uh, you know, this had been up, I guess, in March of 2022, uh, over $51 per token. So, you know, yeah, it's bounced, but it bounced off, uh, you know, an appallingly low price. That's right. Uh, you know, but doubled for whomever uh, had the, had the, the you know, was brave enough to buy it. Um, you know, one thing of note, um, it's just interesting tidbit, uh, Sullivan and Cromwell is the law firm that um, FTX used for quite a period of time during a lot of its activities. Uh, and today, um, they were part of a motion to be appointed debtors counsel for FTX, um, mm. which is interesting. I don't know the results of that yet, um, but that is something that normally would not occur, right? That you would have a, a third party firm uh, and there would be no conflict of interest there. So uh, that's going to be an interesting development if that's allowed by the judge to occur, uh, because it would mean that, you know, they, they have the, uh, uh, um, they will be the ones uh, working through the FTX bankruptcy. So uh, just an, a, an aside. An interesting aside, though, uh, do you know how extensive the uh, Sullivan Cromwell work with FTX was or when it began? Yeah, over the last year and a half, they've met uh, at least 13, 14 times on record with both the SEC and FTX uh, to uh, negotiate many of their of their deals. So who better to have inside knowledge on how to unravel that? Uh, that being said, it could lead to conflicts of interest. So it would be curious to see how that how that plays out and whether or not they're granted uh, that appointment. Um, but, you know, there's so many pieces of this story to, to watch and there's so many right. moving parts. Uh, the key here, the key takeaway, I think, is to just be really careful about any ongoing participation. Yeah, speaking of moving parts, some additional news flow on Nexo. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and crypto lender Nexo have settled a lawsuit. The SEC charged Nexo with failing to register its lending product. 
Nexo will now pay $45 million in penalties to settle the case and similar charges from regulators at the state level. Nexo will also have to stop offering its earned interest product in the U.S. So they're agreeing to discontinue the product uh, for which they've been fined. On its Twitter account, Nexo said, quote, Nexo believes that the company has been recognized for what it truly is, a pioneer like Uber and Airbnb, providing disruptive solutions in a fast-paced environment, uh, end quote. Boy, that's one of the most positive spins I've ever heard on a settlement. Uh, as in innovators do not quite fit, this is an additional quote here, uh, as innovators do not quite fit into existing existing provisions, constructive dialogue for the enhancements of the prevailing regulatory framework is of paramount importance, close quote. In the interest of full transparency, Nexo has been an advertiser on Real Vision in the past. Uh, boy, uh, they're like Uber and Airbnb. Well, I guess a little bit of positive spin there uh, on the story, a little bit of fluff. Uh, but to the substance of the point here, obviously, the idea here for Nexo is that they can set, they can pay this fine for activities in the past. Uh, and then put that in the rearview mirror, put that behind them, uh, and continue to go on with a $45 million fine, which, you know, based on the comments, certainly seems to be digestible. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think the, lot, the market likes certainty. And to your point, yeah. now that this has been resolved, um, there's more clarity for them as, in terms of their risks to the, towards the regulator. Uh, I, this is just augments my, my point about um, regulatory headwinds. Uh, you know, the, the, there will be continued pressure on um, exchanges and firms that offer lending products uh, or, or securities to retail investors. Um, and I don't see the SEC stopping that anytime soon. So um, yeah. those that have made it past that, uh, great. Their token, you can see, is rallied significantly, uh, but there's still a lot of other hammers to fall. So um, you'll be careful there. Yeah, obviously a positive story for Nexo that they can settle this. Still, I don't think anyone has said, it's getting late. I don't want to drive. Let's call on Nexo. <laughs> well, exactly. And in the Silicon Valley world, uh, moving fast and breaking things seems to be the mantra. But with other people's money, I think um, you can't really take that approach. You need to be deliberate, and slow and careful and, and, and comply 100%. So um, these are continued lessons learned from 2022. We're going to continue to learn them in 2023. Um, and I think the next round uh, will be vastly superior in terms of what kinds of products and how safe they are for retail. Santiago, that is a brilliant and incredibly insightful point that you've just made there. You know, what we have seen, I would say, in the last 10 years is the Silicon Valleyization of the entire world. Move fast and break things works really well on social networks, right? If you're playing around and your Facebook post takes an extra 30 seconds uh, to uh, post for whatever reason, uh, and they're innovating and they're doing new and interesting things, people go, okay, well, it's a little bit of a pain in the neck, but fine. But there are two areas that we found out uh, in the last three to five years that just don't play very well by Silicon Valley rules. Number one is medicine, healthcare. Uh, this is the Elizabeth uh, Holmes case. People do not like you moving fast and breaking things. There can't be vaporware uh, when you are you know, doing medical tests that people's lives rely on. And the second is money. Uh, when you have client funds, for example, that are meant to be segregated, move fast and break things is not an excuse for why client money is not there. Such an important point you've just made. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ash. I appreciate it. It's, just, uh, it's something that we all learned as we go. Um, and this is why we have a regulator. Uh, the, the only uh, missed opportunity here is that these things weren't caught before failure. And it wasn't until liquidity came out of the system where everyone, you know, who was insolvent, it became clear that they couldn't sustain their promises. Um, that's when the regulator jumped in. So it's unfortunate uh, they couldn't have done this before people lost money.
Yeah, and it, in many ways, the challenges that we have in this space, I've been saying effectively, are the this kind of weird, uh, worst of all possible world situation where you have centralization and not true decentralization, and then you have an absence of regulatory oversight. It's like it either has to be decentralized or it has to be regulated, but it can't be neither. Neither is not an option. Yeah, yeah, continued pain. Uh, you know, going forward, though, you know, it's important to overemphasize that this is not a technology failure of blockchain. It's not a technology right. failure of smart contracts. This, again, is a, a failure of centralized counterparties, which is right. something that repeats itself in financial markets over and over again with new types of financial innovation. And it will happen again. Um, so these patterns should be identified and processes put in place that whenever the next phase of financial innovation comes out, um, we don't have this happen again. Uh, that, right. That's the key, key right. point. 1907, 1929, 1987, 2008, you pick it, right? Failure in human nature. We're not going to correct that anytime soon. Santiago, while we're talking here a little bit more broadly, uh, and we zoom the camera out to talk a little bit about the, the bigger picture issues, tell us a little bit about what you're working on uh, in 2023 and what you're hopeful for. Obviously, we have these negative stories uh, here, and they're substantial, and we're talking about them in the detail that they deserve with the gravity that they deserve. But what are some of the things that you're optimistic about in this space looking forward? Well, you know, the speculation has been, has been uh, burned away. Uh, this is like a clearing, a brush fire, um, and we're going to have new growth because there's people building now uh, who've taken the lessons learned from these mistakes uh, and identifying market needs and building products going forward that um, won't be subject to these same failures. So I think this is a good and healthy thing for the industry, as, as always, to clean out the bad actors. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're not quite done yet, but I think when that process is complete, we'll see the emergence of, of these new products in the next cycle. Um, and you know, if you look back, uh, the beneficiaries of, uh, of appreciation and NFTs in DeFi and many of the high growth areas in digital assets in the last cycle, those things were built during the bear markets. And so that, that's when you have to pay attention to the quality of the projects and the teams to, um, to really pick the winners uh, and, and, and not the losers uh, before the bull run. That's when most of the gains will occur. Um, so, I mean, for me, it's being one of those builders. It's focusing on uh, software stacks that uh, help tokenize real-world assets, for example, uh, trying to bridge the the legal um, assurances with the blockchain assurances to get kind of the best of both worlds. I think that's going to be the path forward. Um, and I also feel that individuals who are onboarded onto these decentralized networks um, who carry some form of identity to uh, validate KYC and AML, uh, credit mm -hmm. investor status, et cetera, will create new pathways, new exposures for DeFi products uh, that, that, again, realizes the dream that we're all working towards, which is this peer-to-peer uh, -peer world, disintermediation of third party, more efficient, lower friction, et cetera. So, uh, you know, just keep building that. That's, that's, that's the takeaway. Yeah, that's very well said. Realize the dream. Obviously, there are going to be stumbles and problems and some significant uh, fallout on the way there. And we're going to cover those stories as well. But I think it's important uh, for people to understand why it is people are so passionate about this space, uh, perhaps uh, despite all of the things that are happening uh, today that we talk about in the form of bankruptcies and collapses and uh, challenges in the space. Uh, Santiago, it's nearly time for viewer questions, but before that, for those watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out at realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's the best way to get early access to Real Vision content, and it's always free. Uh, today, we've released Raoul's interview with CryptoPunk 
6529. That interview is two and a half hours of pure gold. Check it out again. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell as well. Uh, so Santiago, what do you say? Should we jump in and do some questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this one comes from Paul E. If they restart FTX, wouldn't that be beneficial to SBF and all of his pending issues? So interesting question. He's asking if uh, SBF benefits from a restart of FTX. Well, you know, I think in bankruptcy proceedings, all of the assets, including equity, any income that's generated from ongoing operations, those are subject to uh, the judge uh, at the end of the day and where those funds go. Uh, so I doubt that the founders, especially anybody who's under an indictment, uh, would be a recipient of that value. Uh, it, some people might say that restarting FTX and having operations again where they can earn income would be a better situation for, for especially retail creditors, making sure right. that they get compensated in the future and that there's value there, uh, sometimes destroying the company or, or, or eliminating it. Um, really shortcuts any future opportunities for, for redeeming uh, value lost by, by retail. Right. Retail creditors, also known as depositors or just retail users. And that really is who the benefits uh, should be accruing to, obviously, after uh, the losses that they sustained. Here's another question uh, from Paul E. on the Real Vision website. Is the Genesis bankruptcy in the same court as the FTX bankruptcy? I can take this one. Uh, so no, the FTX bankruptcy is being held in the District of Delaware. The Genesis bankruptcy has been filed in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of New York. Uh, on to the next question. Let's see. Chad C. on the Real Vision website. Weird to see market still pumping. Any takes on why we're not crashing on this news? It's a fair question. Santiago, any thoughts on price action? Why is it still rising? I just think that the, everyone is trying to front run uh, what they consider a pivot by the Fed um, and a relaxing of financial conditions. Uh, it's true that we hit some significant bottoms in both equities and crypto, which highly correlated. Uh, so it could be a bear market rally. Uh, so we need to be careful. It could be some short squeezing. Um, but there is a lot of liquidity on the sidelines. There is a lot of cash on the sidelines. And if people are anticipating um, recession in the latter half of 2023, they may be trying to front run a Fed pivot and hoping to you know, make some gains off the, the bottoms. Yeah. Here's a great question from Steve M from the Real Vision website. How does this bankruptcy impact DCG and all of its other companies? This really is a key question about how the contagion goes throughout the DCG umbrella or family of companies. Santiago, any thoughts on this? It's tough. It is, it's so complex to see whether it would be a net good or not. Uh, a bankruptcy probably would mean that the assets would have to be dissolved and spread out among various parties. And that increases kind of the complexity of the, the response function, whether or not those parties would decide to exit and liquidate into the market, which is what we care about as investors. Um, so whatever their underlying holdings are, uh, you know, having that unravel in, in a uncontrolled manner would not be would not be good. Um, so having yeah. more parties involved in that is probably a bad thing. Um, so we'll have to see. But uh, for, for my personal preference would be to maintain uh, most of those assets under a unified umbrella. Uh, so there could be an orderly unraveling. Um, the worst scenario would be that this this could occur over an extended period of time and extend the uh, crypto winter, if you will. Right. much further than it needs to be. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of my worst fear. 
Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, and let me just shade that a little uh, with a, a bit of sort of uh, just a framework around that. So I think, Steve, you're on to exactly what the key question is. Um, you know, my understanding is that these are separate legal entities and the filing uh, took place. I believe we read them at the top of the show. Uh, maybe we didn't. I thought we went through the list, but there are. Uh, it's the Genesis Hold Co. It's one of the Asian subsidiaries of Genesis, and it's Genesis Trading that filed last night, to the best of my recollection, here in New York City for bankruptcy. Uh, all other companies that uh, were not listed, in fact, did not file. So separate legal entities. This is a complicated legal matter about whether they can be held liable when people file suit. Uh, and additionally, you know, to the point that you made about some of the other assets, if those assets are held in trust. There is also a question about whether or not the trust segregates out or protects them from creditors making claims against it. So it's a very complicated and very nuanced uh, question, and 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 I suspect one uh, that will be argued over. In other words, there is no easy uh, sort of glib answer. What will wind up happening is different creditors and different classes of creditors may file suit uh, claiming that they have uh, or ought to have uh, access to particular assets. This is something that's going to play out over a very long period of time. So, Steve, I guess the short answer is uh, certainly I don't know, but I think even more uh, appropriately said, it is not yet known because these questions are going to be contingent upon uh, legal decisions that have yet to be made. So it really is a very complicated question uh, and one that we will be covering here in detail. Here's a great question to end on, uh, Santiago. This one comes from Fifth Dimension Seeker on YouTube. Can tokenization of assets and regulations lead to a long-term sustainable growth in the crypto space? I don't think he means the uh, tokenization of regulation. I think he means uh, as more regulatory clarity comes online, uh, can this lead to a sustainable growth in the crypto space? Santiago, thoughts? I 100% I believe this, and uh, I'm not alone. We've seen very recently uh, Goldman Sachs uh, and a number of other large firms declare massive tokenization um, efforts between now and 2030. Uh, their expectation is many of the world's transactions, financial transactions will occur um, on some form of distri distributed ledger technology and through some tokenization process. So I'm very bullish. The question is how does that process unfold? How, how does it get deployed so that uh, retail can participate? Um, how do safe spaces get created uh, so that uh, both you know, almost like matching between retail and institutional can occur uh, without the friction that we have now in the financial with instant settlement, with uh, the transparency of, that the chain provides. These are the goals. Um, so, yeah, I'm very bullish. And, and I, I, I think that um, we should shift our focus away from just circular tokens whose value grows on pure speculation to uh, right. anchoring to real world productive assets. Santiago, I'm looking on the chat on the Real Vision website, uh, and it looks like Paul has just said, Santiago sounds like a lawyer. You are not, in fact, a lawyer, right? You're no, a I'm not. engineer by training. That's right. Unfortunately, uh, exposed to way too many lawyers, and it's kind of infectious. <laughs> well, you've caught, you've caught the bug in the best sense of the word. Thanks. 
Uh, so Santiago, obviously we've covered a lot of ground here, lots of news flow, uh, lots of analysis, a great conversation all around. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers and listeners with. You know, there's a lot of opportunity here. Uh, be cautious, of course, and skeptical as, as always of claims and hyperbole. Uh, but this market is very nearing the bottom. Uh, and we could be approaching uh, maximum opportunity here. Uh, so this is the time to really pay attention, do your own research, um, look for those projects that are building real world uh, solutions for problems um, and, and, you know, participate. Yeah, very, uh, very well said and very well framed. Santiago, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Here are my key takeaways. Uh, I would just say uh, that, as I said earlier in the show, I thought we were going to get some clarity last night when the documents from uh, the filing at Genesis came public. I would say, as I said earlier, we certainly have more questions than answers today. Lots and lots of open questions here uh, to be sorted out in the days and weeks to come. And we're going to be covering them right here on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I just wanted to thank once again uh, Santiago for joining us. And of course, thank Ram for joining us, who's no longer with us. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, if you're not a Real Vision Crypto subscriber yet, don't forget it's free. Head to realvision.com forward slash crypto to subscribe now uh, and hit subscribe and hit the notification bell for good measure here on YouTube as well if that's where you're watching that way you can always stay up to date with the latest crypto news and analysis that's it for today we'll be back Monday with more great guests GSR ethos Dave the wave and more join us next week see you at 9 p.m excuse me 9 a.m Pacific noon Eastern and 5 p.m London time live on real vision crypto daily briefing have a great weekend everybody Ooh.